Good morning. My name is Cheryl Jones, and my husband and I are in the Hutchinson Life Group. And um, today I have the privilege of reading the scripture we're going to be working out of today. It's Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 18. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. This is God's word. Well, thanks so much, and uh, good to see you all this morning here at the Medina East Campus. And so uh, we are in this series, and it's Halloween weekend, and so hopefully you guys had a good Halloween yesterday. But we were actually thinking about it, and we said, man, what is the scariest thing we could be talking about for Halloween weekend? And we said, we got it, politics, that's it. And so that's what we're doing uh, in this series. We said there is no more dangerous, no more scary topic to talk about in 2020 uh, then, of course, the political conversations. That's what we're doing. If you are uh, new to Grace or if you're just joining us on live stream for the first time and you're just kind of tuning in, we, we are in actually the final week of this series that we've been in that's been called Dangerous Politics. And, of course, we're talking about the very touchy but the very relevant topic of uh, kind of politics. And so far, over the past couple of weeks, if you kind of missed out on the past couple of weeks, basically what we said is this. We said the reason we're doing this series is because, I think all of us know this, is that politics, this topic, contains the dangerous potential to divide. And so we said, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to do this series is because we know that this topic, specifically at this time, contains within it the, uh, the, the potential to be explosive in many different ways and to be divisive. And we said this is one of those topics that right now has, has the explosive potential to be uh, divisive in our nation, to be divisive in our relationships and our friendships and our families, even for some of us in our marriages. And even, we said even this, that it has the potential to even be divisive in the church. And so we said, man, because of that, because this is just such a tense season and such an interesting time that we live in, here's what we said. We still want to do the series because we believe that right now Christ followers need perspective and guidance. So that's actually what prompted this series was we said, yeah, it's, the times are kind of crazy right now. And we feel like because this is such a potentially divisive conversation that really those of us who follow Jesus, which by the way, I know it's not everyone who's here right now or everyone who's watching right now, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we're saying, man, we need perspective and we need some guidance. I can just tell you, I feel that way. And so a lot of this series is even me just preaching to myself. I need perspective and I need guidance at a time like this. Now, let me just say this too. You can probably tell that this is a sermon series that is geared specifically to the person who follows Jesus. So if you are a Christian or if you're someone who would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, today's message will have immediate and will have uh, uh, implications and applications to your life. Uh, but let me just also say that if you're a person who's exploring Jesus here today, uh, I just want to first say, first and foremost say, um, that I just want to applaud uh, your open-mindedness. And so thank you so much for your willingness to come and, and to tune in to a place like this or be here today and to be open to hearing the Christian perspective on something like politics. I think that's awesome. But I also want to tell you, if you're a person who's exploring Christianity, that even though this series is really geared to the Christ follower, I just want you to know that doesn't mean it's not for you. 
And so my hope is that no matter, no matter where you are in your faith journey, uh, that you would actually be able to glean a lot out of today's conversation. And my hope is that through this conversation, even though we're talking about politics, that you might better understand the heart of Christianity. And of course, that's why part of why we exist here is because we want to invite everybody to follow Jesus. And so that's a big heart of what we're after. But very, very, very relevant topic, talking about this thing, the politics. Of course, this Tuesday is the election. And so we are just a couple of days away from this. My guess is that many of you in this room have probably already voted. I know uh, early voting this year has been super high. So many of you maybe have already voted. Many of you have probably already decided who it is that you're going to vote for. Uh, but I did just want to, just at the beginning, because I've gotten, I've been getting a lot of emails and a lot of messages and conversations with people. I thought it might be helpful if I just started at the beginning. For those of you who haven't voted yet and you're a follower of Jesus, I just thought maybe it'd be helpful if I just gave you five helpful ways to prepare as you vote. So if you haven't voted yet, my hope is this will be helpful. It'll be quick. But if you, if you already have voted, my hope is that this is still helpful to you, uh, maybe for the next uh, voting cycle. But, but here it is, just real quick, preparing to vote five things for the follower of Jesus. First off, I would say, I would say this. Obviously, we want to start with prayer. Now, I know for sure I'm a pastor, and so you're like, yeah, I'd expect you to say something like that. That seems like kind of a cliche thing to say, but I don't mean it that way. Uh, we actually, at Grace Church, believe very, very strongly that we don't want prayer to be our last resort. We want prayer to be our first response. And I think a lot of times we have a temptation to first make up our mind, and then we pray for our choices to be implemented by God. I think we need to avoid that. I think we need to start by just saying, God, uh, show me, direct me, lead me. Uh, as I process through these things. So begin with prayer. Here's the next thing I would say. Look to the Bible, look to scripture. And of course, we've been trying to do that some in this series over the past few weeks is really look at the Bible. Uh, but more specifically, look at God's word and look at God's heart for his desires on the issues that you're going to see on the ballot. I think that's very important. As you're weighing out the different issues and the different agendas, don't simply consult your preferences don't simply consult your opinions. Don't simply consult your political affiliation. And don't simply consult that which is going to best advance your situation. I would encourage you, first and foremost, as a follower of Jesus, to go to God's word and try to determine what is his heart on these issues and process that through. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said that there is no one political party that is going to fully encapsulate the kingdom ethic. And so we have to think th through these things, I think, with a biblical lens, not just a political lens as we process through them. Here's the third thing I would say. I would say do some research, right? I think followers of Jesus, it's really important that we genuinely understand uh, the issues and the agendas that are on the ballot, to understand the candidate, to understand what's happening in those things. I would say don't just assume because a candidate happens to be affiliated with the political party, that that means that that person is going to best represent your convictions as a follower of Christ. It's not always the case. And so uh, I don't know if this is helpful. Uh, maybe it's not, but this is the way that I, I like to vote. Uh, personally, I like to vote from home. And I like to do that because I like to have my ballot in one hand and I like to have my computer in the other. And I like to go line by line and prayerfully research everything that I'm reading, every candidate, every topic, every agenda, whatever it is. It takes me a long time to vote, as you can imagine, uh, but I feel like that's a, a helpful way to do it. Then I would say this. I would say that as you're processing through this, if you're still not sure, if you still are not entirely, you're still divided on what you're thinking, I would say to seek wise counsel. Okay, so, so obviously uh, being a church and doing this, this three-week sermon series that we've been doing, there's only a limited amount of content that we can cover in three weeks. And so there's a lot that's to be said that we haven't been able to say through this series. But that's one of the beautiful things about being part of a biblical community is that we have each other. And so I would encourage you, maybe as, you know, for followers of Jesus, I think we should talk to other trusted Christian friends, talk to mentors, talk to church leaders, process with people about uh, some of the issues that you're thinking through. Uh, on this, maybe I'll just say this too. I would encourage you to avoid asking questions like, who are you voting for? And then just voting for the person that they said. In fact, I, I would actually encourage you maybe to ask this question instead. Say, hey, as a follower of Jesus, what are some of the main considerations that you are deliberating uh, during this, this political season, all right? And then lastly, I would say, pray, all right? Again, just pray. As you're voting, pray. Pray for the names that are on the ballot. Pray for our country. Even this, I actually would even encourage you over the next two days, would you consider fasting and praying? 
maybe take a date, maybe even on Tuesday to fast and pray for our country, fast and pray that God's will would be done in some of those things, okay? So, so again, super quick, but my hope is that that would be helpful if you're still trying to think through and process through uh, the election coming up on Tuesday. Now, now that I said that, I wanna take some time and I wanna spend the rest of our time and talk about something that I actually think is maybe a more pressing issue, all right? And what I wanna talk about today, uh, I believe, quite honestly, is very often neglected, but it's incredibly important as it relates to this topic of politics and specifically for those who follow Jesus. I have noticed that in all of my uh, reading and studying and listening and preparing for this, that in this whole conversation, it seems like there's a piece that's been missing that I feel like is actually maybe in some ways the more important piece. And that's this, okay? So here's what I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about. Here's the issue that I think is often neglected and it's what do we do after the election? All right, and so I wanna take some time and I'll talk about this. What do we do after the election? I have noticed that in most of my conversations, it has been geared around how we vote, how we think about how to vote, the issues and the candidates. And by the way, that's very important. I think it's very important that we have those conversations. I think it's very important that we process through those things. But what I have noticed also is that what we've neglected is talking about what's gonna happen after the election. So in other words, okay, so Tuesday's the election. What happens on Wednesday? So what, what happens when, when your candidate wins? What happens when your candidate loses? What, what happens on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? What happens in November? What happens in December? What, let me ask it this way. What happens in your workplace? What happens to your friendships? What happens in, in your family? What happens in your marriage? If one person wins, the person what happens at Thanksgiving? What happens during the Christmas season, all right? And that's the thing that I think a lot of people aren't talking about that followers of Jesus need to be talking about because quite honestly, I think all of us are smart people and we know that just because the election is on Tuesday, that doesn't mean on Wednesday everything goes away. That doesn't mean that all of the fighting and all of the division and all of the arguments and all of the mudslinging, that's all of a sudden gonna subside. I think all of us know, if anything, if anything, it's probably only gonna get messier, right? I was just uh, reading my newsfeed this past week and I'm sure I saw what you saw, right? And what do you see when you look at the newsfeed? Well, you see things like this. Both Republicans and Democrats are envisioning catastrophic consequences if the other side wins. And so depending on what news source you're gonna go to, they're gonna say, they're gonna predict, they're gonna prophesy that if the other candidate wins, it is going to be a cataclysmic future for this country. So if Trump wins, you know, there's certain states that are gonna secede from the United States. If Trump wins, then all these celebrities are gonna leave the country and a bunch of people are gonna pay for them to leave, right? And then if, if, if Biden wins, it's the end of America as we know it, and, and, and if Biden wins and everything, it's just like, and, and everyone has this vision that it's just gonna be the end of everything that makes America wonderful and all those kind of things. In addition to that, what I've also seen is that regardless of who wins, regardless, law enforcement is already preparing and is bracing for more protests and more picketing and more rioting. And so law enforcement is saying, regardless of who wins, especially in the big cities, they're saying, we're just prepared. It's gonna be such a tense season. There's probably gonna be more protests. There's probably gonna be more riots that are gonna come. I think all of us know this, that come Wednesday, we, there's probably gonna be lawsuits and recounts and it's gonna get messy and all that. And then just to, to bring it even closer to home, just to bring it closer to home, I think many of us are bracing for tense and uncomfortable political conversations over the holidays. So a lot of us, my guess is if I asked any of you, I, I've, I've actually been doing this in the cafe uh, over the past couple of services. I've been asking, do you have a friend or a relative that you have in mind that after the election that you know it's going to be tense and challenging? And almost every single person I talked to has said, yep, there's that family member, there's that coworker, there's that person in my class, and I just know that regardless of who wins, it's gonna create tension in that relationship. I know people who in their marriages are bracing for tension in their marriage because of what's gonna come from this election. And by the way, all this stuff I put on the screen, I just want you to think about this. This is already on top of a pre-existing feeling of frustration and exhaustion that all of us are already feeling with everything that has transpired over 2020. I actually thought it was, that's kind of interesting. I had a friend of mine text me this GIF. 
And uh, I just thought I'd show it to you. He said, here's 2020 right here. It's just, there you go. It's a burning dumpster float down, on the, down the street. And uh, I just texted my friend back. I just texted my friend back, and I was like, accurate. Yeah, that, that, that pretty much summarizes it, right? So, so here, listen, here's my hope today. My hope is that maybe, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, that maybe I can help reframe a little bit what this next season might look like for us. My hope is that maybe I can help us see it differently, that we wouldn't view this next season as something like this, but that we might view it in a different way, in a different way. Because here's something that I have, I have found. I have found that for many Christ followers, we'll say this. We'll say the times are crazy right now. So it's time, it is time to retaliate. It is time for us to fight back. I think there's a lot of Christians who feel fear and frustration about where the culture is going. And so as a result of that, we say, we need to fight back with equal and opposite force. There's another segment of Christians that would say, the times are crazy. So we gotta isolate, man. We gotta hunker in, we gotta hunker down. Let's just tune out all of the noise. Let's just buy some extra ammo and pray that Jesus comes back next Tuesday, right? And so some people would just say that. And what I wanna show you today is I actually think the Bible is gonna present for us a third way. I think the Bible presents, for those of us who follow Jesus, a better way. And what is that? Well, I think the Bible is gonna say the times are crazy, don't retaliate. The times are crazy, don't isolate. The times are crazy. Christians, it's time to illuminate. This is our time. It is our moment. It is our opportunity to shine, to stand out and to look different. Listen, my hope is that by, to, by the end of today's talk, that you're gonna see this next season not as an interruption or an intrusion to your peaceful life. My hope is that by the end of today's talk, you're not gonna view this as an inconvenience to be endured. My hope is for those of us who follow Jesus, we'll see this as an opportunity to be seized. It's an opportunity for Christ followers to stand out, to illuminate and to shine. In fact, I want you to notice in that passage, Ephesians 5, the one that was just read. In fact, if you don't have your Bibles open, I'd encourage you maybe to open them up right now to Ephesians chapter five, which is the passage we're looking at and the passage that was read. Uh, If you didn't bring a Bible, by the way, we have it on the screen or you can use the Bibles under the chair. If you don't own a Bible, you can have one of those. We'd love, love for you to have that. But Ephesians five, I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Now, notice what he says here. He says, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. I think what he says here is really powerful. I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say, okay? So he doesn't say, the days are evil, so we gotta fight back, man. He doesn't say the days are evil, so man, we gotta hunker down and we need to clump up. No, instead he says the days are evil. There's an opportunity that we have in front of us. There's an opportunity. Do you notice the language? Look look again what Paul says back in this passage. He says that we need to make the most of every opportunity because, because, because the days are are evil. See, I think what he's saying is he's saying that, listen, when it's darkest is when we have the greatest opportunity to shine. When it's darkest is when we have the greatest moment. We have a moment of opportunity in front of us. So here's the question then. How do we make the most of this opportunity that we have in front of us? And I think there's two things. I think there's two things that we're gonna see right out of this passage. And here's what I think they are. I think Paul's gonna say, we have a unique opportunity. So here's what we do to make the most of it. We need to walk wisely. Number one, walk wisely. And then number two, we need to dress accordingly. So for those of us who follow Christ, we have an incredible unique opportunity, once in a lifetime opportunity in front of us. And Paul's gonna say, so we need to walk wisely and we need to dress accordingly. So what do I mean by that? All right, let's start with the first one, to walk wisely. Uh, Again, if you go back to Ephesians 5, here's what Paul says. He says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now there's some key words in here that I wanna highlight that I think really help us understand what he's saying. And so I want you to notice first, he says, be careful how you live, how you live. Now, um, Some of you might actually have different translations on this, and your translation might say, look carefully how you walk. That's how your Bible might say, or it might say it this way. It might say, walk carefully. It might say that. Now, the reason that the word live is sometimes translated walk is because in the original Greek language, the word live literally means to walk. Walk is actually a better translation of the term. 
And so what this is talking about is throughout the scripture, throughout the Bible, the Christian life is oftentimes depicted as a walk, right? So it is a step-by-step, it is a moment-by-moment, it is a decision-by-decision journey, right? The Christian life is not just anchored in one choice, but is a continual, uh, ongoing, choice-by-choice, moment-by-moment journey. And so here he's gonna say that we need to be, now notice this, we need to be careful how we walk, be careful how we live. Now, again, the word careful here is an important word. It literally means walk accurately, or it means walk cautiously. And so this is that idea of I am, I am choosing my steps, I am watching my step, and I'm being very accurate, I'm being cautious. And notice part of what it means to be careful is he says not to be unwise, but to be wise. Now, this, again, this word unwise is a very important word. Here's what it literally means. I thought this was so cool. The word unwise literally means unmindful of the consequences of a thought or an action. So what does it mean to be unwise? I'm not even thinking about the consequence of my thoughts and my actions and my words. I'm just doing it. I'm not even thinking about it. And he says, don't walk like that. Don't live like that. But instead, you need to live wisely which is the word skillful. I'm I'm being very careful. I'm being very deliberate about every step that I take. Now, I just tell you, I don't know if this is helpful to you. This was helpful to me. When I read this passage, do you know what picture came to my mind? This is the illustration that came to my mind. I immediately thought of one of the things that I like to do with my kids right now uh, during the fall. Uh, My wife and I have four kids. One of the things we like to do right now is we like to hike, uh, mainly because it's fall in Ohio and also because it's free and we have four kids. And so we, we'll go hiking, and we love walking the trails around here. And this time of year, especially because it's been so rainy, there's certain parts of the trail that get real muddy, get real sloppy, you know? And what I found is that a lot of times, as a parent, without even thinking, and I'm sure if you're a parent, you do the same thing, if we are beginning to approach a muddy part of the trail where there's like a high likelihood that someone's going to slip and fall, or there's like a high likelihood that someone can get hurt or get dirty and whatever... Uh, I will, without even thinking, it's just kind of the dad thing inside of me, I will look at my kids who are always crazy and I'll say to them, hey guys, 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 I see the muddy trail coming up. Guys, 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 be, tell me, careful, right? Watch your step. It's muddy and you guys aren't paying attention. And I don't want you to slip. I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to get hurt. And more importantly, I don't want you to get the van muddy. So it's like, just stop, Right? And so I, be, be, don't, don't be unwise. Don't be unmindful of the consequences of your actions right now. Be deliberate. Be thoughtful. Think about every step that you're taking. Guys, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, the days are evil, you guys. The days are evil. So Christians, we need to walk wisely. Think about your actions. Think about your words. Tread carefully. And if I could just tell you, here's what I think. You guys, I believe, I believe, and I'm not sure, but I believe that the trail ahead of us is about to get real, real muddy. I think it's been muddy already. I think it's gonna get muddier. And I think for those of us who follow Christ, we need to make sure that we don't compromise our opportunity by living unwisely in such a way where we are not watching our life. And by the way, what he says here in verse 15 and 16, I think it actually harkens back to what he says in verse eight. So if you go back to the beginning of this passage, look what Paul says. He says, you were once in darkness, talking to Christians. He says, but now you are light in the Lord. So you need to live, that's the word again, you need to walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Now, some of you um, maybe are somewhat familiar with the Bible. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you might know that darkness and light is oftentimes used as a metaphor to speak of a spiritual reality. So the Bible is going to say that all of us at one time walked in darkness. And the Bible is going to say that now that Jesus has come, Jesus has showed us the Father, and he himself is the light. And so because of that, when we follow Jesus, the Bible says we then become children of light. So what does it mean then to walk as a child of of light? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means, just to, 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 to state it plainly. It means to live a life that reflects and looks like that of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means to walk wisely. It's that my life, my life is exhibiting and it is revealing and it is reflecting that of the life of Jesus Christ, that of his values, that of his character, that of his attitude and his heart. 
I think what it means for, G, for Christ followers to live as children of the light is, you guys, it means this. It means that we need to look categorically different than anything else we see right now. In the same way that light is categorically different than darkness, Christians need to stand out and look very different than everything else that we're seeing in the world right now. And so he's gonna say that. I think that's why he goes on in verse 11. He says, you need to have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. In other words, what he's saying here, if I could just put it in my own words, I think what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, these times are dark. These are some dark times. So don't retaliate. Don't, don't participate in the darkness. Don't fight the way they fight. Don't argue the way they argue. Don't return a low blow for a low blow. And these times are dark. Don't isolate. No, no, Christ followers need to get in there, he's gonna say. And we need to expose, we need to illuminate, we need to illuminate and reflect the love of Jesus. And the Bible's gonna tell us that that's God's strategy. And so we have to walk, we have to walk very carefully. So practically speaking, what, what might that look like? Well, let me see if I can just give us a few questions. So for those of us who follow Christ, here's a few questions I want you to consider uh, as we try to seek out some guidance on this. So here's the first one, all right? Will I, you gotta ask yourself, will I be a kingdom person first and a political person second? All right, so as you enter into the classroom, into the workspace, into that family gathering during the holidays, I think those of us who follow Jesus, we need to resolve ourselves before we enter that space that we are first and foremost going to be kingdom people and then secondly, we're going to be political people. What I mean by that is I think we need to reaffirm and we need to make sure that we're resolved in what our most foundational aspect of our identity is. Is the most foundational aspect of my identity my political affiliation or is the most foundational aspect of my identity that I am a child of the light? that I am a child of the king, that I am a follower of Christ. I think we have to begin there. Where does my affiliation lie? Where does my allegiance lie? Is it first with Jesus Christ or is it first with my political affiliation? I think we have to establish that before we even walk into that space. What, what am I representing here? Secondly, second question. I think in addition to that, we have to ask, am I more committed? Am I more committed to making a point or am I more committed to making a difference? What, what am I more prepared to do and what am I more committed to doing? When I walk into the classroom, when I walk into that relationship, when I talk to that challenging person, what am I more prepared to do? What am I com more committed to? Am I more committed to making a point, a political point, a point about an agenda, a point about a candidate? Or am I more committed to making a difference, a difference in their life that might, that might result in them knowing the hope and the love of Jesus Christ? I think, listen, I think for, for those of us who follow Jesus, listen, I think we, we need to redefine the win. Before you go to that Thanksgiving dinner, before you walk into the workplace with that challenging person, I think you need to redefine the win. What is the win? Is the win to, is the win to win the argument or is the win to win the person? What is it? Here's the third thing I would say. I would say we have to ask this question, will I show contempt for those in darkness or will I shine light in the darkness? And again, for those of us who follow Christ, we have to be very, very careful that we don't show contempt for people who do not know Jesus Christ and then, and then expect them to act like people who follow Jesus Christ. We can't expect the darkness to live like the light, but instead, those of us who follow Jesus need to be light and live that out within these dark spaces. And so he's gonna say, listen, we have a unique opportunity. So it begins by walking wisely. So follower of Christ, we have to walk wisely, right? We have to walk accurately in this season. Be so careful about how we joke and about what we say. Be, walk carefully as it relates to how we interact on social media, right? Don't be an unwise person who gives no thought to the consequence of your actions or your words, but choose every step carefully. And then here's the second thing he's gonna say. I think it's tied to this. He's gonna say, we have a unique opportunity, so we need to walk wisely. And here's the second thing, we need to dress accordingly. We need to dress accordingly. And some of you are like, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, um, let me show you here in this passage. I don't know if you noticed when, when, uh, when the passage was being read, 
that there are multiple times in this, in this passage of scripture where the apostle Paul is gonna say, Christians need to know what pleases God and then seek to do that. So I'll just give you a couple examples. In chapter five, verse 10, he says that we should find out what pleases the Lord. And then in chapter five, verse 17, he says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. All right, so Paul's gonna say, you need to find out what pleases the Lord and you need to do that. And then it's gonna say, and then you need to understand what God's will is. Of course, that begs a really important question then, right? And that's this, what pleases God and what is his will? And the answer to that question is, well, actually a lot. There's a lot that pleases God and there's a lot that we could say about his will. In fact, we could probably spend an entire sermon series talking about how to understand and discern God's will, which by the way, we've actually done that in the past. We've talked about that before. But, but here in this passage, I think that he actually is referring to something very specific, that we actually know what he's talking about because of what he said just one chapter before this in chapter four. And what did Paul say in Ephesians chapter four? Well, in chapter four, the apostle Paul tells us, he says, this is what God wants and this is what God doesn't want. He actually spells it out for us. And the way he spells it out is he uses this language of putting off and putting on. So here's, here's what he says in chapter four. This is just one chapter previous. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life that you should put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and you need to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so, so Paul says, you need to know what God wants. You need to know God's desires. You need to know God's will. And we're like, well, what's God, what does God want? What is his will? What is his desires? Well, right here we have it. He says that we are taught to put off our old way of life, put that off. And we are to put on this new self that's created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Now, fascinatingly, the language put off and put on, it's actually the Greek word that's used for taking on and putting off clothes. So if you think about your clothes are dirty and you take them off and you put on some nice new clean clothes, that's like the same imagery that Paul is using here. And this idea of clothing yourself or dressing appropriately is actually something you see all throughout the Bible. I'll give you one other passage that you see the same idea. This is in Colossians. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, you see that? Because this is who you are, you are holy and you are dearly loved. So you need to dress accordingly. You clothe yourself, clothe yourself with compassion and with kindness and with humility and gentleness and patience. In other words, what he says is you are God's child. So you need to dress that way. You need to dress appropriately to that. And here in Ephesians, he's actually going to give us several examples of what we need to take off and what we need to put on. Now, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but I just wanna show you just kind of a, a basic chart that highlights chapter four. So in chapter four, he's gonna say this. He's gonna say, we need to put off falsehood, put off lying, put on speaking the truth, speaking truthfully to each other. He's gonna say, we need to put off anger that leads to sin. And that we need to put on conflict resolution. In Ephesians, he's gonna say, don't let the sun go down on your anger so that the devil won't get a foothold. He's gonna say we should put off stealing from others, taking from other people. We need to put on serving in a meaningful way. We need to take off unwholesome talk. Literally, that means talking in a way that's rotten and in a way that, that is full of, of anger and, and uh, malice. Instead, we need to speak in a constructive way, speak to build others up. We need to put off bitterness. We need to put on kindness. We need to put off rage and brawling and arguing. We need to put on compassion, listening, and seeking to understand. We need to put off slander and malice, gossip. We need to put on forgiveness. We need to put off obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. We need to put on thankfulness. And so he's gonna say, listen, followers of Jesus, what is God's will for you? We need to take all this stuff off, which we used to be, and we need to put on this new self. We need to put on this new self. We need to clothe ourselves as the children of the light. We need to dress appropriately, is what he's going to say. Now, let me just ask you a question. I just looking at this list, and we don't even need to get into the details of it, but looking at this list, let me just ask you, which side, as you look at this, best represents the climate of the time that we live in right now? Which side? Yeah, the left side, right? And don't, I don't mean anything, no political. I have no political, don't read into that, all right? But this side does, doesn't it? 
I mean, for sure, falsehood. I mean, lies everywhere. Anger leading to sin. Unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage and brawling and arguing, slander and malice and gossip and obscene, foolish jokes. I mean, that does that not, does that not epitomize the time that we find ourselves? Let me, let me ask you a second question. Which one of these two people someone who is clothed like this or someone who is clothed like this, which one of these two people is going to stand out right now? Which one's going to just like look so different at the holiday family gathering, in your classroom, in the workplace, in your marriage? Who's going to look different? Yeah, this person. This person's going to stand out quite a bit. All right, let me ask you another question. Who would you rather sit next to at Thanksgiving? This person or this person? Would you rather sit next to the person who is just full of argumentative rage and brawling and just wants to pick a fight with you? Or do you want to sit next to the person who wants to be compassionate and understand and maybe even have a constructive conversation? Do you want to sit next to the person who's full of anger and who's making obscene, foolish jokes the whole time? or someone who's actually thankful. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, I get the points you're making, but quite honestly, there might be some better stories if I sat next to this person over here. And true, okay, but here, here's my point. We talk about God's will, right? We say, what's God's will? What does God want for me? Here's the thing. There's a lot about God's will I don't understand. There's a lot that if you came up to me afterwards and you said, Pastor Tony, I'm trying to make sense of God's will and I have this question. There's a lot about God's will that quite honestly, it's a mystery to me and I don't understand. But I can tell you, let me just tell you with 100% certainty, there are certain things I do know about God's will. And here's what I can say. Look up here. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is God's will for you. This is what he wants you to be like. He wants you to clothe yourself like this because you are a child of the king. And so you need to dress like that. You need to dress like that. And I got to tell you guys, I was thinking about this whole thing this past week. And, you know, I put a lot of thought into this. And there's a lot you can say about these words and about these phrases. But I think if you could summarize it in one word, do you know what I think this whole left side, what I think the, the one word that summarizes the whole thing, you know what I think it is? Here's what I think it is. I think it's this word. I think it's the word contempt. I think it's the word contempt. Um, psychologists and sociologists recently have been doing a lot of studying on just the climate that we find ourselves in. And the word that they seem to use so often is they say that it is a culture of contempt right now. Uh, Arthur Brooks wrote a book called uh, Love Your Enemy. And in it, he says this. He says, social scientists define contempt as anger mixed with disgust. Anger mixed with disgust. These two emotions form a toxic combination like ammonia mixed with bleach. Contempt is the, look at this, the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another person. Anger mixed with disgust. <sighs> I, can't even I can't even believe that they think that. <sighs> I can't, I, I am disgusted that you would have voted that way. I can't even think about talking to a person like that. How, how ignorant, unsullied conviction of the worthlessness. You are worthless. I'm just telling you, followers of Jesus, we have to put that off. It has no place in the kingdom of God. It has no place for the children of God for us to clothe ourselves this way. You know, when we look at this, this list of the things that we're supposed to put off and the things that we put on, you know, the truth is, I think when we lie about others and when we are angry, when we tell obscene and foolish jokes that devalue other people and when we gossip and we slander and we, and we speak maliciously about other people, I think we are treating them with contempt. You know, I was reminded, um, there's actually a, a really interesting quote I read this past week that I think I think really gets to the heart of it as well. It's by a guy named Scott Saul. Scott Saul's wrote the book, Jesus Outside the Lines, but he was talking about this idea of the way we speak about other people. And here's what he said. He said, gossip is pornography of the mouth. Like porn, it seeks a cheap thrill at someone else's expense with zero commitment to them. It, it is the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another person who God loves and who God died for, and who Jesus loves very much. 
And so, so listen, here, here's the question. Why? Why would we do this? Why would we go through the work of taking all of these things off and putting all of these things on? Why would we do that? And here's why. I mean, here's really the bottom line. I think the reason that we do that is because when we live like this, you guys, then we get to show the world what Jesus is like. Because did you know that everything on the right side of this chart, everything, this is exactly how Jesus Christ treated you. And it's exactly how Jesus Christ treated me. The Bible says that Jesus came and he spoke truth to us in love. The Bible's gonna tell us that Jesus came to seek conflict resolution. Do you know that Jesus Christ came to seek, to seek resolution of the greatest conflict humanity has ever faced? The Bible's gonna say we were enemies of God. We were estranged from him. And yet Jesus took the first step to initiate conflict resolution with us, to be reconciled to him. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to build us up. He spoke value into us. He spoke life into us. He treated us with kindness. He treated us with compassion that we didn't deserve. He forgave us of our sins and he exemplified a life of thankfulness. And you guys, when we live this way, We are reflecting the light of Jesus Christ and we're showing the world this is what our king is like. This is what our king is like. And so Paul's gonna say, we have an incredible opportunity. We have an incredible opportunity. So you need to walk wisely. Be careful how you live. And we need to dress accordingly. And so there's all this stuff we gotta put on and there's all these other things that God wants us to put on as well. Ephesians says it this way. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Why? because that's what Christ did for you. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. That's who you are. Walk in the way of love. Why? Because that's how Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. And so when we live this way, we show the world what our king is like. And maybe, just maybe, they'll wanna know him and they'll wanna follow him too. So (laughs) guidance, All right, I think Christ followers need to ask a few questions in light of this. Here's the first one. I think you have to ask yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, is there anything of which I personally need to repent? I think as you think about that list, this whole passage says that we need to live a life of repentance. We have to put off things and we need to put on other things. And by the way, I don't think that's a one-time transaction. I think sometimes that's a day-by-day, even moment-by-moment transaction that we need to put off and we need to put on these things. But maybe for you, you just need to take some time and think about it. Is there anything that you need to repent of? Is there any conversation that maybe you need to go back and readdress and ask for forgiveness? Is there any statements you need to retract? Are there any posts that you need to delete? Because this is a matter of putting off and putting on. This, by the way, is why I think biblical community is so important. Because you guys, we're not gonna get this right every time. We're gonna mess up. We're gonna mess up at this. But I think sometimes it's important that we have other people around us who are pursuing this together because we need each other. We need each other to help each other walk wisely and dress accordingly. We need that. Here's the second question I have for you. Okay, follower of Jesus, and this is, this is a tough question. Can you, can you love unconditionally those you disagree with politically? Let me just ask you that. Can you love unconditionally those who disagree with you politically. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't know anyone who disagrees with me politically. <laughs> and if that's the case, that might be your problem. That might be why you haven't learned anything in 10 years. I'm just saying, all right? And, and, and maybe, maybe it'd be helpful if you did. I mean, here, here's a follow-up question. Can you love those who you disagree with politically? Here's a follow-up question. Do you want to? Like, do you actually want to? And I don't mean, like, just tolerate them. I don't mean, like, just be nice to them, just behave around them. I mean, like, like love them. Do you want to? Do you want to? Because here's what I think. I think you can. I think you're called to, and I think you can. I think Jesus showed us the way, and I think he's, if you're a follower of Christ, I think he's given, us, he's given you his Holy Spirit, and I think you can. I think sometimes the issue is we don't want to. We just don't want to. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe it's possible to have strong convictions. I believe it's possible to disagree with someone vehemently and still love them unconditionally. 
I think it's totally possible. It's totally possible. Here's the last question I think we need to ask. Will you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry? I don't know if there's a more relevant verse for our culture than this one right now. Am I willing to be not quick to be angry, not quick to speak, but slow, slow? Am I willing to, maybe we'll put it in modern terms, am I willing to be quick to listen, slow to tweet, and slow to be angry, right? Am I willing to do that? I think we have to be cautious about that. Here's what I believe, you guys. I believe that when Christ followers live this way, when Christ followers say, and we're gonna walk wisely and we're gonna dress appropriately, I believe that it's then that we become the most dangerous for the kingdom of God. Because the scripture's clear. The means in which God wants to change the world, it's not through a political agenda. It's not. It is through kingdom people who look like their king and look like their savior and shine light in the darkness. It's what we're called to. It's what we're called to. And when we do that, people will see our king and they will hopefully put their hope in him because he is the only eternal king. I'm gonna end with this quote. This is a quote that I've been trying to work in for the past three weeks in this series. And I just, I have to share it because I love it so much. And I've shared it in the past several years ago, but every opportunity I get, I I love to share this. And uh, the reason is, it's a longer quote, but the reason is because I think it's so powerful. It's actually from Napoleon Bonaparte. So all of us know Napoleon, obviously world leader, world dictator. And yet at the end of his life, he actually was reflecting on human leadership and Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. Here's what Napoleon said at the end of his life. He said this. He said, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded great empires, but upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Now watch what he says next. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions will die for him. He's he's talking about himself here. I have inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this, it was necessary that I should be visibly present with the electric influence of my looks, my words, and my voice. When I saw men and I spoke to them, I lightened up the flame of self-devotion in their hearts. Now watch, Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man towards the unseen that it becomes insensible to the barriers of time and space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which a philosopher may often seek in vain at the hands of his friends or a father of his children or a bride of her spouse or a man of his brother. He asks for the human heart and he will have it entirely to himself. Wonderful. In defiance of time and space, the soul of man with all of its powers and faculties becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe in him experience that remarkable supernatural love towards him. This phenomenon is unaccountable. It is altogether beyond the scope of man's creative powers. Time, the great destroyer, is powerless to extinguish the sacred flame. Time can neither exhaust its strength or put a limit to its range. This is it, which strikes me most. I have often thought of it. This it is, which proves to me quite convincingly the divinity of Jesus Christ. Here's a man who's achieved more than any of us will ever see in our lifetime. Here's a man who is the leader of an empire. And at the end of his life, he reflects back and he says, there is no king like King Jesus. And our hope is that people will know him above all other kings. So what happens on November 4th? Let me tell you what happens on November 4th. Two things. Jesus Christ is still king. And number two, followers of Jesus have the same mission. We still have the same mission, to walk wisely and to love and to dress accordingly. Ask the band to come up. And and as they do, um, I just wanna end our time and end this series by praying together. And I wanna do that in a little bit of a unique way just because we have all of us in this room and everything that's coming up this week. And so I just wanna ask everyone if you would do this. Would Would you just, in this room and if you're watching online, would you just bow your heads
And would you just close your eyes with me? Just right now, just turn everything off, shut down the devices and put away the, the your, pack up your stuff and just still your heart. And we're just gonna pray together. And in this moment, I just wanna ask you, would you do this for me? Would you just think, think of the names of the people that are in your life that you know are going to be a challenge to you in this next season. Now, maybe for you, you you think about a coworker and you think about, maybe it's a family member. You think about the Thanksgiving holiday, Christmas this year, and you're just already anticipating. You know it's gonna be hard. You know it's gonna be a challenge. Would you think about those names? Maybe for you, it's someone in your family. Maybe for you, it's your spouse. Think about their name right now. Just think about those people in your life. Now, would you pray for them by name? Would you pray for their good? Would you pray they might know Jesus? If you're a follower of Christ, would you do this? Would you pray for yourself? Would you ask that God maybe would use you? You have an opportunity. Would you pray that God would give you the willingness to walk wisely and to dress accordingly, to take off, to put off certain things and to put on take a moment right now, would you pray for our leaders? The Bible tells us it's God's will that we pray for those in authority. Would you pray for our president? Would you pray for our governor? Would you pray for our mayors? Anyone who comes to your mind right now who is someone who is an authority to us, would you pray for them right now? Would you pray that God would give him wisdom, give him help? Pray they might know Jesus. Would you pray for both candidates, both of them, both presidential candidates and their running mates? pray for our country. Lastly, if you're a person who doesn't follow Jesus and you want to make him king of your life, would you just tell him that now? Well, God, we love you. We need you. Lord, we need your help. Help us to walk wisely and help us to dress accordingly because we have an opportunity. The days are evil. The times are muddy. The times are dark. But Lord, would you fix in our hearts, would you fix a a resolve inside of us that we'd be willing to shine? Help us to do that. We We need you desperately. We pray in Jesus' name.